Well, good morning. It's so good to be up here and have the privilege of being able to share with you. I know that I did it on the 1st of January, but it was a little different. I think I was a lot bigger um, up on the screen there, but it's so great to be able to, to share with you this morning. Before we get into anything, I have to say something and just maybe make a little bit of a, I don't even know what the word would be, but let you all know that I'm going to try my best to speak slowly and clearly. I was told that because of my accent, sometimes if I speak a little fast, you don't hear me. I feel the same with you guys, but I will really do my best to do it a little, little bit slower than what I usually do. I don't want you to miss anything I have to say, but please forgive me if I unintentionally start speaking a little quicker. This morning we're going to read from the book of Luke and from the book of John. Um, if you don't have your Bibles with you, that's fine. We've, we, we will have it up on the on the screen behind me, um, and we're going to read from cha- uh, chapter 10 in, ver- in Luke from verse 38, so I'm just going to read it for us. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and had a woman named Martha welcome him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching, but Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which, I will, not, which will not be taken away from her. Father, thank you for your love for us, and thank you for this word this morning. I pray, God, that you would bless it. I pray that you would speak directly into all of our hearts that you would challenge us and encourage us and equip us to guide into the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this is a very well-known story to most of us, um, the story of Mary and Martha, um, but I don't wanna just focus on this encounter that we have. So I'm gonna look at the the other encounters that Mary and Martha had with Jesus throughout the Gospels. Um, And scripture records three of them in total, um, well, some of them are recorded in the other Gospels, the, the exact same story, but I'm just going to look at the, the three main stories. The first time is when Martha invites Jesus into her home. That's what we just read now. Martha invites Jesus into her home, and um, yeah, things happen. The second time is when Lazarus dies, and Lazarus is the, the brother of Mary and Martha, and Jesus comes back to Bethany to comfort them and also to raise Lazarus from the dead. And the third time is when a feast was given in Jesus' honor. Um, and we'll get into each of those, those times. The story of Mary and Martha is often contrasted as though every believer must make a decision. We've got to make a choice to be one or to be the other. And we can be workers like Martha or we can be worshipers like Jesus. And that's sometimes how this, this story is portrayed. And while it's true that God has uh, blessed us all with unique personalities, and unique giftings, this does not mean that he's called us to a life of either or. In fact, I believe that God shows the two different personalities of Mary and Martha to show us that, hey, this is what we need to be in both areas. In fact, Charles Wesley wrote in one of his hymns, faithful to my Lord's commands, I still would choose the better part, serve with careful Martha's hands, and loving 
Mary's heart. Worship is actually at the core of everything we do in the Christian faith, every single thing. We're called to serve. We know this. I mean, we have people all over the church today with little name tags saying, I'm here to serve. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to be ambassadors of Christ. We're called to work hard when we're in our jobs, in our workplaces. And we're called to share the good news of Jesus. And all of this is included in serving God. We are also called to be the Good Samaritans, to help the lowly and often exploited people, to uh, bring peace to those who are troubled, healing to those who are hurting, and mercy and grace to those who are in need. But what is interesting to note is that Mary always encountered Jesus in the exact same place in all three occurrences. She was at his feet, at the feet of Jesus, worshiping him. And as Jesus said, she chose the good portion. She chose the better part of of what we need to be doing. So before we can even think of serving God, we actually need to go and sit before his feet. We can serve and with our busyness, uh, before we can represent Christ in any way that we should, and before we can meet any need that, that people might need, we need to take the time to sit at the feet of Jesus. That is where we learn, that is where we grow, that is where Jesus pours his life into us. See, this story is not meant to teach that Martha was bad and Mary was good. That's not the point of the story. And if we see that as the point, we've missed it completely. Because when we take this portion of Scripture and couple it with each of the other occurrences that we see, we, we see how, how Scripture develops the character of Martha and how her servant heart is portrayed, as well as how Mary's worshipful heart is portrayed as well. And it seems evident that God wants us to imitate both of them in different ways, Martha in our service and Mary in our worship. But the latter, the part where we worship God, that should always be our starting point, every single time. So this morning we're going to look at both Martha and Mary in the different situations, the different encounters they have with Jesus. And the first one is the one we just read, where Jesus was invited into their home, and Martha is busy preparing. She invites him into the home, and she gets into going about doing stuff, looks like she's cooking um, this huge, elaborate feast when Jesus is the only one there. She gets going preparing this for him, and in doing so, she completely neglects him. Mary, on the other hand, chose the good portion, as Jesus said. And Jesus himself defended her and said, he will not let that be taken from her. He defended Mary's actions because she didn't get distracted, but instead she fixed her eyes on Jesus and her focus as well. She made him a priority over every single thing and wasn't worried with the um, peripheral stuff. She just sat at Jesus' feet. And I wonder sometimes how we miss this in our own lives, in our own personal lives, because of distractions, 
The other day, my wife and I were driving down to Oak Hill Park in St. Louis Park. I was taking her down there. Uh, she had a play date with Kaya and, and her, her, her boys. And so we're driving down there, and my wife was saying to me how good my driving's getting. <laughs> in South Africa, we drive, as you guys would say, on the wrong side of the road, but we drive on the other side. So it's been quite a challenge getting used to driving on the right side of the road, or the right-hand side of the road. There's been once or twice, the other day I walked, uh, drove out of McDonald's here on Weneka Avenue, and I instinctively just pulled out left into the left lane. <laughs> Thankfully, there were no cars around, I was able to, <laughs> to drive over to the other side, but you can see how quickly distractions take away from your focus. <clears throat> when we were driving down to Oak Hill, she was telling me how wonderful my driving is, and I'm just feeding off of this, this encouragement, and I went right through a stop street. And then she went, oops. <coughs> Distractions take away from our focus on Jesus. And it's not to say Martha was bad. She wasn't. She was a wonderful woman. She ended up being someone who served Jesus and people around her wholeheartedly. But distractions take away. And I only hope and wish that we would be able to have the focus of Mary, where we're able to say, hey, there's lots that needs to be done, but Jesus is the focus right here. We've got the King of Kings sitting in our living room. We need to go and listen, spend time with him. My little girl, Amika, watches something called Coco Melon. We curse the day we ever introduced that to her. But the focus that she has when she's watching that is incredible. Anything else she's doing, if you mention num-num, which is food, she'll come running. If you mention bottle, she'll come running. If she's watching Coco Melon, nothing will disturb her. You can call her name, you can literally be right next to her and say, Amika, nothing. And I wish that was the kind of focus we could have when we spend time with Jesus. That everything else around us just fades away and we're like, Jesus, it's all about you. But how often are we like Martha doing so much and making our lives busy for the sake of saying we're serving? When we reach that stage, we really need to examine our lives. We need to examine where we are and what our priorities are. Maybe we're busy doing a lot of things, and they might be good things, but perhaps in our busyness, we've been neglecting our time with Jesus. And I've seen this in my own life this week as I've been preparing this, God was convicting me heavily of how you're, you're very quick to get up and go do, but you're very slow at sitting at my feet and just hearing me, listening to me and learning from me. It's important to note that Jesus did not condemn Martha's service, and I think that's important because we often miss that. We think, oh no, he just told her she's distracted, but that's exactly the point. He didn't condemn her service, he just rebuked her for being distracted by so many things and pulling her attention away from Jesus. She was trying to serve two masters. And we all know Jesus has to be the only one. Anything else is plain idolatry. When we put anything else above Christ, even if it's just for a second, Jesus, I'll get to you right now. I've just got to do this. 
And so the key is to have the right priorities. Jesus Christ must have the highest place in our lives. Even far more above ourselves. I often remember a, a story when I was a kid and they were explaining about Jesus and how he needs to be the center of our lives. They would take a, a we had those flip charts because we didn't have big screens. We had the flip charts and he would take a penny and draw a circle and he'd draw a little chair in the, in the middle of the circle and then he'd write you. And then on the other side he'd draw a, a circle and then he'd put a little chair and then he'd write Christ and then he'd put you right outside the circle. And it was such a vivid and great way to explain that when Jesus comes into our hearts, we die. We're left out, we're not there. It's all about him, it's not about us. Warren Wiersbe uh, said the most important part of the Christian life is the part that only God sees. And that's the part when you're sitting at the feet of Jesus in solitude, just as Jesus would often do, get up early in the morning, go find a quiet place, and he'd spend time praying to the Father. That is the most important part of our lives. If we can't get that right, no matter how much we serve, it means nothing. The most important thing we need to do is sit at the feet of Jesus because that's where he pours himself into us. That's where he says, hey, why don't you go and do something for this person today? Why don't you give some money to that charity? Why don't you go and do this? And we miss it all because we're so focused on getting up and doing stuff. And some of us may sit down and pray and go, yeah, I'm gonna pray. And we list a whole list of things we wanna ask God for and then we say, amen, and we get up and move on. And that's not the type of thing that Mary was doing. Mary was a woman of very few words. In fact, in all those three encounters, she spoke once. And we'll see it just now. But she was silent and she listened to Jesus. And unless we actually meet God personally and privately each day, we run the risk of being like the Martha in the first text, completely distracted. The second encounter, Jesus weeps with Mary and Martha. He actually cries with them. And it's, it might not be recorded, but um, Jesus, it's more than likely that he spent more time with this family that, than we see here. Because um, they had a brother, like I said, named Lazarus, and in John chapter 11, it tells of how Lazarus was sick, and that uh, they, they sent a, a messenger to Jesus. And he said, so the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. The fact that they state the one you love shows that Jesus had spent a lot of time with these people, had gotten to know them, and had become extremely and deeply fond of them. When Lazarus died, Jesus was concerned for the faith of Mary and Martha. And he sends a promise to the sisters. In uh, John chapter 11, verse four, he says, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Each experience of suffering and trial that, that we experience is designed to increase our faith. There's a lot of people who come in and say, why would a good God allow suffering to happen? Well, this is why. He wants us to run to him, to trust in him, to put him first, and when we do that, our faith grows. Our relationship with God grows. Jesus meets 
Each of them, both Mary and Martha, is able to comfort them perfectly. The first one is Martha. She rushes out to meet Jesus when he arrives in the, in the, um, in the village. And um, Mary stays behind in the house, weeping. She's possibly not aware that he's arrived. Martha greets Jesus with these words, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But then she quickly affirms her faith by saying, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. So at first you might think maybe she doesn't have much faith, like, hey, where were you? But then she goes, no, but I know, whatever you ask, God will give you. And Jesus responds to that faith and promises her that Lazarus would rise again. And this is what um, Mary thinks. She goes, yes, one day in the resurrection, he'll rise again. We can see that she's not the same woman as she was in the first encounter. Her faith is, has, has grown. It seems like she might have learned her lesson a bit to actually focus on Jesus and not be so distracted. And while Jesus might have been speaking of the immediate situation, that, hey, he's going to walk again now, Mary looks at the future, I mean, Martha, sorry, she looks at the future and she says, yes, I believe that he will. And Jesus doesn't deny Martha's uh, interpretation of that to be the future. Instead, he uses it as an opportunity to bring great comfort to Martha. And he says these words. In John eleven twenty five. he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And while Martha was looking to the future, knowing that one day Lazarus would rise again and she would see him, the people around her were looking to the past saying, this guy Jesus could have prevented him from dying. But what's done is done. And we, can't, we have a big contrast between the two people, those who believe in the power of Christ and those who don't. Jesus had dealt with Martha's face, and now it was Mary's turn. And I want to read from John chapter 11, verses 28. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. I think I'm reading from a different um, version, so let me just focus here. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise and quickly go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them also said, could, he not, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, 
And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, said to them, unbind him and let him go. Very, very, uh, also, well-known passage, very cool encounter with Jesus. Um, if you want to show a miracle, this is one to show. So Martha goes back to the house. She's feeling a little bit more encouraged. She runs, she gets Mary. She says to her in private, says she does it secretly. Now, a possible reason for this is because of the danger involved. The Jewish leaders lived two miles down the road from Bethany, and they were out to arrest him. And so they probably didn't want to alert anyone who might be lurking in the village. So quietly come see the teachers arrived. And Mary gets up with a spring in her step and starts moving. So her friends go, oh, she's going to go cry at the tomb. Let's follow. And they find Jesus. Mary falls at Jesus' feet. There you go, again, at his feet. But with sorrow in her heart, her only recorded words were the same words that Martha spoke. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, there are two ways to interpret these words. The first way is in a manner of questioning Jesus, just as a parent might question their child if they arrive home late from curfew. Where have you been? It's almost as if Mary was saying, Lord, if you were here, he would not have died. Where were you? That's the first way. The second is in a manner of faith, saying, Jesus, I know that if you had been here, you would have healed him. I know that. It's too bad you weren't, but if you were, you would have healed him. And that is how Mary speaks to Jesus. She's sorrowful, she's upset. She still has the faith to say, God, you are in control, and I know you could have done this if you had chosen to. But because of her faith and the sorrow she felt, Jesus was moved deeply in his spirit. And all the people crying, he's moved. And we know that Jesus is fully human. He might be God, but he's fully human, and he experiences what humans experience. The pain that he feels might have over, overwhelmed him to a point because it says, and this is the shortest verse in the entire Bible, it's two words, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Why would Jesus weep if he knew that in a few minutes he's going to just tell Lazarus to walk out and he's going to walk out? Because he's human. Because as much as he's God and he's able to say, come out of that grave and call people from the dead, he's still a human being who experiences pain and this shows his humanity. This shows that he is able to understand what we are going through when we face difficult times. And I'm more convinced than ever before that what Jesus experienced in that moment was a real human emotion. Sorrow and pain for his friend that had died. And the fact that he was able to cry with Mary and with Martha and with the people around may have given Mary just a little bit of comfort and encouragement. 
that yes, Jesus loved Lazarus just as much as I did. One thing to note in this passage is how after Martha affirms her faith, she has a moment, just a moment, where she completely forgets her faith again. And that just reminds me of me, (laughs) where you're so faithful, full of faith in, in regards to God and in regards to Jesus, but then something pops up and you're like, but what about this? And it's almost as if logic comes in and goes, don't worry about your faith, this is logical, you need to focus on this. Jesus asks for the tomb to be opened, (laughs) and it's as if Martha's faith just went out the window. She says, but Jesus, logically, there's going to be a smell. He's been in there for four days. It's going to stink, but this is where faith um, would defy logic if she had been able to trust in Jesus. And this is not the only time we see it. There's multiple occurrences in Scripture. I'm about to go over time. I'm almost done. Promise. Um, There's multiple occurrences in Scripture where faith completely defies logic. Completely. If we look at Abraham, if Abraham was logical, he would never have left the land that God, um, uh, to to go to the land that God promised him. He would have stayed right where he was because it was comfortable and that's where his family was. I know a little bit about that. He would never have made the journey to the mountain with Isaac and in obedience was ready to sacrifice his son. Instead, because of his obedience against logic, his obedience in faith, he believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. His faith completely went past the logical. Anyone here who's got a son or a daughter would never even imagine to be able to go up a mountain put him on a table and begin to take his life. Because logically that's like, who does that? Second one's Joshua. Joshua listened to the logic that walls don't fall if you shout at them. (laughs) The city of Jericho would probably be standing. Peter. If Peter listened to logic that Just because someone says you can step out of a boat and walk on water, if he had listened to that logic, he would have been like, that's impossible. I'm not going to do that. What about the disciples? When there's thousands of people gathered and they say, we have no food to feed him, Jesus says, well, bring me what you got. What do you got? You got five loaves and two fish. Jesus says, that's perfect. That's enough. Take that and go and feed them. Can you imagine what the disciples thought? But they did it, and it defied logic. It was only for a moment that Martha failed to have that faith, but Jesus quickly reminds her that if she believed, she would see the glory of God. And she goes, okay. And she goes, and they open the tomb, and what happens? Lazarus walks out. The last encounter, very last one, Jesus anointed by Mary. All right, this feast is thrown for Jesus. I'm gonna just read it quickly. John chapter 12, verse one to three. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. 
This is the last occurrence of the three that Jesus has with Mary and Martha. So like I said, Bethany is only two miles away from uh, Jerusalem where the, the Jewish leaders are. And Jesus comes to have a party. He comes to see them because he knows his time's coming. He comes to see his friends one last time. Martha throws this beautiful, beautiful um, party for them. And being true to their personalities, that's what happened. Martha served, Mary worshipped. We're not sh- sure what, what type of la- uh, personality Lazarus has, but he was reclining at the table with Jesus, <laughs> enjoying himself. And this time, Martha, we can see how she's grown. Not only did she prepare for Jesus and his disciples and for her family. That's not just Jesus now. That's 15 people she prepared for and not one single utterance of complaint. It's more than likely she's learned her lesson to sit at the feet of Jesus, to worship first. And because she's full of faith and she knows who this Jesus is and she pays attention, she's able to go and serve wholeheartedly the way she's meant to, without complaint. Mary has never failed in her faith. She's always been a worshiper at Jesus' feet. And this is what she's always done. But this time, she does something even more. She takes this expensive perfume. She pours it on his feet. She washes his feet with her hair. And this beautiful aroma fills the, the, um, the room or wherever they were. Now, I have this, this bottle of cologne. And it's a very expensive bottle of cologne that was given to me by my in-laws, um, I think, the first Christmas after I married Anshin. And I rarely ever use it. Why? Because it's going to run out if I use it too much. <laughs> it really smells nice, or at least I think so. My wife does too. So I use it only for special occasions, all right? Big events um, where I'm going to see a lot of people and I don't want to smell, um, <laughs> date night with my wife, um, whatever. I use it very, very sparingly because it's valuable and I don't want to just empty it. Mary does the opposite. She goes, this is valuable. By the way, a jar of that perfume that she had would take a normal laborer about a year to be able to save up for that. And she cracks it open, pours it on his feet. But this is the mindset of Mary is she says, I'm here to worship you. Not just a little bit, wholeheartedly. Every part of my life, everything I find valuable is nothing. It's dust compared to you. So she can take this valuable perfume and break it open and worship Jesus, and it means nothing to her. Why? Because Jesus is more valuable than anything else on this earth. I've got three takeaways for us. Three things that I just want to summarize that we can take home with us, and then I'll be done. Number one, don't get distracted. Don't allow distraction to pull your focus from Jesus. Because Jesus is the most important, the most valuable thing we have in this world and beyond it. And yes, he's got grace for us. But if we spend our time missing what Jesus has for us, we only have limited of time left to hear it. What, the time you have with Jesus 
value it. Pour yourself into it. And focus so that Jesus can pour himself into you. What you do after that will be a blessing to others and to yourself because you are fueled by the faith and the power of God in you. There was a phrase I missed earlier, but I want to share it now. What we do for Jesus is vastly less important than what we do with Jesus. Don't let distraction take time away from what you need to be doing in in the presence of Jesus. Number two, pain, trials, suffering bring you closer to Jesus. This one is difficult because it's always based on how you respond to the pain, the suffering, and the difficulty in your life. But if you're regularly sitting at the feet of Jesus, worshiping and him pouring himself into you, any kind of pain, any kind of suffering is so tiny in compared to the greatness of our God. Your faith will grow. And even in the midst of these trying, horrible times, you're able to say, God, I trust you. You're able to say, God, if you were here, I know you would have healed him. If you lack that time with Jesus, it is probable more times than not that your heart will be hardened against Jesus and you will start saying things like, I can't serve a God who allows that to happen. Ever heard that before? Ever said that before? And number three, faith always defies logic. When you put your faith and your trust in Jesus and do what he asks of you, when you're obedient, no matter how strange or weird it sounds, no matter how uncomfortable it makes you feel, I kind of shared this um, when when I spoke in January, that if you're obedient, it always leads to blessing. God isn't telling you to do something just for you. A lot of times, it's because someone else has a need and God wants to use you to meet that need. And there's blessing in that, not only for them, but even for you. My prayer to each and every one of you, and including myself, is that we would sit at the feet of Jesus before we go out and serve him and his people. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your love and thank you for your grace. Thank you, God, that at times we can be like Martha and instead of condemning our service, Father, you just gently rebuke us and try and bring our focus back to you. You are a good God and you are a good Father. And I pray for each and every soul in this room and online and anyone who hears this message, Father. May you encourage us, may you call us, and may you remind us to sit at your feet to worship you, not out of duty, but out of a love for you 
and a heart to grow and want to see your kingdom grow. So Father, won't you be with us? Won't you encourage us and lift us up? In the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen.